Good morning, Sunset. Have you ever uttered these words to yourself? You go, ah, this is the life. You know what I'm talking about, right? You, uh, <clears throat> you know, I've uttered those words to myself before, several occasions, but there is one in particular that, that really stands out to me. A few years ago, um, you know, Danny, I, and, and the boys uh, went to the beach for a weekend away. Now, at this time, we lived in Mexico. We lived in Mexico City, big city, 30 million people, right? A lot of people all the time, a lot of traffic, a lot of congestion, and, and it had been a particularly stressful few months for us. And so we got away for this weekend where we go to the beach <clears throat> and, uh, uh, and the kids are playing around and, and Danny and I are just sitting there soaking in the sun and the sand, right? And I think to myself, ah, this is the life, right? This is the good life. Kind of like this kangaroo, okay? Look at that. Look at that guy. I mean, he doesn't have a care in the world, right? He is just, just chilling. And, 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 and I, I, I felt that way, right? I was away from all of the stresses. I was away from uh, the traffic, the congestion, all of those preoccupations that I had in my head. Uh, and I went, man, this is, this, is what the li- this is what life is all about. This is the good life. I could do this all day, every day. No doubt you've thought that way before. Now, this is my, a part of my idea of what the good life is, right? Uh, yours may look a little different. Maybe you're a mountain person. You're like, I can't stand the beach, right? But whatever it is, all of us have our own notions about what the good life is really all about. Uh, But perhaps more importantly, we also have our own ideas about how to go about attaining that good life and living that good life. Well, we're in the middle of the series called Alien Life, right? That's a funny title, I know. But it communicates a very important truth, and that truth is this, that Christians are aliens in this world and we're aliens to this world, that we are different, that we don't belong here. So our manner of thinking, our manner of speaking, uh, the way we behave, it is all different. We are aliens. We're not from around here, like Bill said a few weeks ago. And this morning, we're going to explore the good life of aliens, the good life of aliens. Perhaps in no other area of life do aliens stand out as much as we do as we do in this one. That is, in what we consider the good life. Because the world's version of the good life is radically different from God's version of the good life. And it's radically inferior to God's idea of the good life. So to put it simply... The good life as the world defines it, this is how I'm using, this is the definition I'm using this morning. The good life according to the world is a life that maximizes pleasure and minimizes pain, right? It is constantly attempting to make life more comfortable. There's really no room in this worldview for pain. There's no room for suffering. There's definitely no room for self-sacrifice. This good life is all about what makes me happy in this moment. It might be something completely different in the next moment, but it is about what makes me happy in any given moment. And so, uh, following that logic, the world says anything that advances that notion of the good life is a virtue that should be championed, that you should celebrate. Anything that serves you 
to help you attain that good life is a virtue, is a good thing. Go after it. And anything that stands in the way will throw it out. But see, aliens define the good life very differently. This morning, we'll, exam we'll examine what, what the Apostle Peter has to tell us about the good life of aliens. Now, we're in the book of 1 Peter, and he wrote this letter to the Christians thousands of years ago. But I think that many of the lessons uh, that we find here are still applicable to us today. I hope that by the end of the lesson today that you don't just walk away from here with an understanding of what the good life is and how to live the good life, but also I hope we really understand what makes us Christians so different, what makes us so alien in this world, what makes us so different in the way we think about the good life and in the way that we actually live the good life. So we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 22. Mark your Bibles there because I'll jump back to that, okay, from time to time during, during this morning, morning's lesson. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 3 <clears throat> and verse 8. Peter starts off with a list of prerequisite qualities, I think, who, that Christians who want to have the good life, who want to live the good life, must emulate. This is what he says. Finally, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. He says, hey, those of you who wish to love life, and live the good life, you must fill yourselves with these qualities, okay? Let's go through them quickly. You see that one, the first one, unity of mind. Uh, now, the world has its idea of what that means, and typically what that means is, oh, you, everybody must think the way I think, right? Everybody must view situations the way I view situations, and everyone must draw the same conclusions about things in the way that I, in, in the way that I draw conclusions about them, Right? And if you disagree with me, well, that's bad. Well, that's not the idea here, right? When he says, hey, you have unity of mind, uh, it is a way of saying you be harmonious. And that's different. And it's different because uh, it, it says that even when you disagree, you seek to be united because there is something greater than your differences which unites you, right? As Christians, there is something uh, greater than any difference we might have, and it is that greater thing. It is that greater person that allows us to have this unity of mind. And so that's the first thing that Peter says. You have unity of mind. And then there are a couple of things that run together, I think. Sympathy and brotherly love. See, they're demonstrations of compassion. They're derivatives of compassion. It is, what Christian, it is how Christians respond in the face of the pain and the suffering that surrounds us. We are a tender-hearted people. And so Peter says, hey, you want to live the good life? You be tender-hearted. You be sympathetic. Brotherly love. Have brotherly love. It is this love that seeks the best interests of the other person. But get this. It is seeking the best interests not just of those who love us, but even of those who hate us even of our enemies. It is loving others in, with the same love that Jesus loved us when we were his enemies. And finally, he says, have a humble mind. Uh, it's uh, a person with, this, with a humble mind. Is, uh, I, I love how Paul uh, talks about this in, in Romans. He said, hey, you, you soberly estimate yourself. Don't think of yourself too highly. 
But I think also don't think of yourself too lowly. Correctly picture yourself in the will of God. And I think that's the key to humility. And so he says, he starts off with this, uh, with this list of qualities. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, Princeton, aren't these qualities that everyone appreciates? I mean, it's not like it is only Christians that practice these things, right? And you'd be right, partly. But I think there's a big difference. I think there's a big difference in the way that Christians view these qualities. See, while, while those of the world may appreciate these qualities and even uh, practice them, okay, ultimately, it is about seeking the good life as they define it. And so they view these qualities as a means to that end. So, so let's say unity, sympathy, tender heart, brotherly love, and a humble mind. Man, if these things serve my idea of what the good life is, yeah, I'll do them. Absolutely. But if any of these stand in my way, I'm going to have no qualms about throwing them out, right? Man, I'll be humble up until the point to where that humility is going to require some sacrifice of me, and then, nope, sorry. Man, I can be sympathetic. I can show love. But once, you, once it starts encroaching on my freedoms, oh, I... But aliens are different. Aliens view these qualities not as a means to an end, which can be discarded if they're no longer useful to us, uh, but we view them as a divine mandate and a characteristic of the good life itself. See, unlike those of the world, we're, we Christians are prepared to take these qualities to the point of pain, to the point of self-sacrifice, and beyond. And we'll see why that is the case here a little further along. So Peter lists these qualities, right? And then, and then he gets to the secret itself. But look at what he does here. He quotes, he, he quotes a passage of Scripture from Psalm 34, which, by the way, was written thousands of years ago, as if to say, guys, the secret to the good life is no secret at all, actually. It's been in plain sight all along. Listen to what he says. Whoever desires to love life and seek good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And there it is. The alien's formula for a good life. Pretty simple, really. Turn from evil, do good, seek peace. It's simple, but it's not easy. And it definitely does not align with the world's idea of the good life. Let's examine these a little closer. See, the world says to us, listen, you want the good life? Well, nothing is off limits to you, right? You can, you can have your cake and eat it too, right? Go for it, right? If it makes you happy. Have you heard that before? But then God says, no, no, you turn from evil, you turn from evil. And actually, I think there's more to that than we might, we might see on the surface. If you go back and look at that preceding verse, examine that a little closely, Peter, Peter's actually implying that turning from evil uh, includes not repaying evil for evil and reviling for reviling. He's saying that turning from evil doesn't just mean we don't do evil things. It also means that 
When others do evil things to us, we don't retaliate in kind. It means that even when others treat us unjustly, unfairly, even when they might persecute us, we aliens still do good. We don't retaliate. We don't uh, repay evil for evil. The world says, do what makes you feel good. God says, no, no, you do what is good, right? Not just what makes you feel good. See, it's not just about doing evil, but it's, it's, it's about turning from evil, but then we are turning to do something. We intentionally and actively engage in doing good things because that is what God would have for us to do. That is what he wants us to do. That is how he wants us to live. And so we love and serve our neighbor. We, we, we are compassionate. We show brotherly love. We forgive. We do all of those things because we have turned from evil, but we haven't, but we haven't stopped there. As aliens, we go further. We actively do good to people. And then the world says, listen, you pursue a life of pleasure. Just go for it. Right? In any given moment, the ultimate good for you is what makes you comfortable, is what makes you happy, is what you enjoy and find pleasurable. But God says something very different. He says, no, you pursue a life of peace. See, Paul in his letter to the Romans says something very similar. He goes, as far as it depends on you, you live at peace with all people. As, as, as much as you can help it, if it's up to you, you live at peace with all people. And I think it's very similar to what Peter is saying here. See, Bill spoke a few weeks ago, if you were here, he spoke about how we aliens are not a seditious people, right? We're not troublemakers. We're not revolutionaries. And then Monty spoke last week about how we aliens are a submissive people. And, and, and those are hard teachings, right? Like we have to, we have to submit. Ah, we don't even like that. I, I'm not a big fan of that word. And yet, and yet he, he talked to us about how we are to submit to one another and ultimately submit to Christ. Well, Peter is saying here, hey, we're not just, uh, we're not, just not seditious people and we're, we're not just a submissive people. We're also a peaceful people. We are people who seek peace. We are people who pursue peace. And as far as it depends on us, we try to live at peace with all people, with everybody. These words are challenging enough as they are, but I want you to consider something. Consider the circumstances of the audience to whom Peter is speaking. He starts off this letter and he calls them the dispersion. What that means is that these were Christians who had been dispersed, right, uh, because of persecution. When you go back and read the historical context, when you read what happened to them, right, uh, the persecution happened in, 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 in Jerusalem. A lot were kicked out. But then as, as you follow history, that persecution, uh, there are different hot spots. It was Jerusalem for a while. It was Rome later, right? But these guys are scattered all over the place. They've been removed from their homes. They've been separated from their loved ones. They're facing lions and gallows. And it's to them that Peter says these things. He says, hey, you turn from evil. 
you do good, and you seek peace when they are actively under the threat of persecution, when they've already faced persecution and probably will face more persecution. It is to them that he says these words. See, in Peter's mind, suffering and persecution are not anomalies of the good life. Uh, when suffering and persecution comes to aliens, it's not, they aren't to be surprised by them. He speaks of them as something every alien, every alien should expect to face. And he actually addresses the issue head on. Look at what he has to say in chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. I hope you can read the text here up on the screen. I hope it's big enough. He says, hey, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So he starts off by saying, hey, people aren't going to harm you if you're zealous for doing what is good. But then he addresses the reality that they've been facing, which is that people have harmed them, right? People have harmed them for the sole reason of being Christians. So he addresses that and he says, you don't be afraid of them. You don't be troubled or intimidated by them. Rather, you continue doing good. And your behavior then will be so alien to people, will be so alien to everyone around you, that they'll wonder why you are the way that you are, why you're not like the rest of them, why you don't speak like everyone else, why you don't think like everyone else, why you don't act like everyone else, how you can do good even to those who harm you, how we can have hope in the midst of suffering. And so when they ask us for the reason, for this unshakable hope that we have, we can answer... He says, with gentleness and respect. And here's the answer. Here's the answer to all of those questions. What makes aliens so different from the rest of the world is that we honor Christ Jesus as holy. What that means for the Christian is this, that Christ is exalted above everything else. He's not just uh, uh, one among many voices for us. He is the ultimate authoritative voice in our lives. He's not just a king, a prince, a ruler. He is the king of kings. And he's not just a wise teacher, right? Like some people say. He's not just a wise teacher. He's the wisdom of God. And so for the Christian, it is Christ who defines what the good life is, not the world. And the Christian doesn't get to define what the good life is. Christ does. And so when we submit to Christ and and do good in all situations, see what Peter says will happen when people revile us and speak ill about us. He says, they will be put to what? They'll be put to shame because we have acted in a good conscience. Because even though people did evil to you, you did not repay evil for evil. You have done good to all. You have sought to live at peace with all. So no accusation that anyone can throw at you will stick because they would be baseless. Aliens are different 
and aliens are able to live in this way because we have honored Christ the Lord as holy. We have set him apart from anything and everything else. He is exalted above all else. Peter concludes this section explaining why Jesus deserves that exalted position in our lives, why he deserves to come first, and why he gets to define what the good life is. See, look at what he says. Let's read verses 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. See, Christ deserves to be in that exalted position in our lives because he did for us what nobody else could. See, when we were separated from God because of our sin, he suffered and died in our place to make us alive and to restore us in God's presence. He, the righteous one, Peter says, died for us, the unrighteous ones. And, and look at the gift that he gave us. He gave us a clean conscience. Praise God. He gave us a clean conscience so that we could stand before God confidently, knowing that on the day of judgment, there is no condemnation that awaits you if you're in Christ Jesus. And so we submit to Jesus because God has subjected all creation to him. He says, all angels, all authorities, all powers, everything, everyone has been subjected to Christ. That is why we submit to him. That is why he gets to call the shots. That is why he gets to define what the good life is for us. It's not the world. We don't get to define it. We don't get to say, oh man, I'm suffering. I'm, I must not be living the good life. <clears throat> Wrong. Right? Peter says, Jesus suffered. What do you expect? Right? Jesus suffered and he died. But get this, he did all of that to give you the good life that is truly good. Not some, not some shallow, superficial version like the world talks about. But life that is truly good. And that's what it's all about. The good life is about living in submission to Christ and doing good in his name regardless of our circumstances. Being an alien is tough. Uh, as an immigrant, <laughs> I understand this uh, very well. And if you're not from Lubbock, for example, you come to Lubbock and you go, man, this is a little tough, right? Um, you know, you live in a place that's not home. Of course, Lubbock has now become home. Um, you don't think like everybody else. You don't speak like everybody else. You don't act like everybody else. And that can be tough. And this alienness can also bring suffering in your life. Persecution, maybe. But we have peace with God. And we have a hope that he'll faithfully see us through any trial that comes our way. 
which, by the way, is the same hope that our Christian ancestors had when they faced the lions and the gallows. We follow in their footsteps and the footsteps of Jesus himself, who suffered and died so that we might have life, the good life. This morning, I want to encourage you, and I want to close this way, but I want to encourage you to examine uh, your definition of the good life. What is the good life to you? Have you bought into any of the world's lies about what the good life is? You know, hey, you go after pleasure. You do what feels good to you. It's all about you, you know. All of these virtues, if they serve you, they're good. If they don't serve you, if they stand in your way, they're bad. Have you bought into any of those? If you have, man, I urge you to repent. I urge you to turn from that. And if you haven't yet sanctified Jesus as holy in your life, we want to encourage you to do that. We want you to have peace with God. We want you to have hope in Him. And we want you to have a clean conscience before Him so that you can begin living the truly good life in Jesus. So if you haven't yet made Christ your Lord, the Lord of your life through baptism, consider doing that this morning as we stand, as we sing.